0: Last week, I was talking to my friend, Robbie, who you might know as a resident historian on, like, every episode that involves history. Hi, I'm Robbie. I'm here as your uh, budget historian. And Robbie told me something that I found pretty interesting, which is that the CIA made over 600 attempts to kill Fidel Castro. 600. Naturally, I was curious how it was possible that the most powerful government agency in the world failed so many times. This is the CIA we're talking about. These are the guys who helped overthrow regimes in Guatemala, Chile, and Iran. They're pros. So how did this one socialist bro in Cuba foil them over and over again? You're listening to Things You Don't Need to Know, and on this episode, the many failed assassinations of Fidel Castro. Hello, I'm Ari Kagan, the host of this show. Uh, Figured I would do that podcaster thing where you extend the show by telling you something about my life. Uh, I've grown a beard. Uh, It's Castro-inspired. Anyway, um, I wanted to call this episode how to not assassinate someone, but my producer, Harry Nelson, made an excellent point in saying, I don't assassinate people all the time. It's the easiest thing you can do. I walk down the street, I see somebody, they're not assassinated. I get a call from a friend, they're not assassinated. My podcast protege asked me a stupid question. He lives for a long and happy life. It's not a big deal. Right. Well, let's say for example that you do feel the need to take someone out, and that person happens to be Fidel Castro. The first thing you should know is that you're not alone, and to explain why, we need to go back in time. Starting in 1492, Cuba was a colony of Spain, but as time went along the Cubans became disillusioned with their dictators across the pond. They didn't like the corruption, high taxes, lack of representation, basically all the usual reasons to want independence, so around the end of the 19th century, they begin to fight back. This led the United States to send a battleship, the USS Maine, to Havana to protect the American citizens living in the country. Although this was technically classified as a friendly visit, on February 15th, 1898, the ship exploded in Havana Harbor. It's not clear if Spain was responsible for the sinking, but given that the United States was in favor of Cuban independence, or some form of that, they declared war on Spain. This was the Spanish-American War, which came to an end 10 months later on December 10th, 1898, with the signing of the Treaty of Paris. Spain gave up Cuba, Puerto Rico, and Guam to the United States, and also agreed to sell them the Philippines for $20 million, which is something that I had never heard of. Probably should have finished school. The United States continued to occupy Cuba under military rule until 1902 when it became fully independent. That's not to say America wasn't all over Cuban politics, and after a series of puppet presidents and frequent U.S. intervention, a new constitution was adopted in 1940. The first president under this new constitution would be Valencio Batista.
1: He claims a substantial victory over San Martin, his leading opponent.
0: Batista served his four-year term, and then left office, as the laws suggest. But that wouldn't be the last we heard of him, as he returned for re-election in 1952. When he came to the realization that he wasn't going to win that election, he staged a successful coup.
1: While they slept, behind the scenes strongman General Batista had overthrown the constitutional regime of President Carlos Prio.
0: The U.S. was in favor of this because he was against communism, and upon assuming office, aligned with U.S. corporations and the U.S. Mafia, which were both profiting heavily off Cuba. Now this really pissed off Fidel Castro, who at the time was a young lawyer and aspiring politician planning to run for Congress. I'll let Robbie give a little background on Fidel. Ironically, he was born to like a very rich family and became a leftist as a result of his university studies. After seeing the election, he was planning to run and get canceled.
1: Cuba's political freedom is ended as Batista cancels the June 1st elections.
0: And with an overall bad taste for this new corrupt regime, he planned a coup of his own. It failed miserably, and he ended up in prison for a year before heading off to Mexico, where he plotted his comeback. A comeback that would come to fruition in late 1956, when Castro and 81 other armed revolutionaries returned to Cuba on a boat. This rebellion was squashed quicker than the last one, and the surviving rebels fled to the mountains. Around this time, Batista was declining in popularity. The student revolutionary group even stormed the capital and broadcasted their three minutes of truth to the nation. Meanwhile, up in the mountains, Castro had gathered 300 new rebels, and after years of guerrilla war in which they slowly claimed towns one by one, on February 8th, 1959, Fidel Castro marched into Havana. On the 16th of February, he was sworn in as prime minister, and shortly after went on a kind of publicity tour to the United States, proclaiming that he was not a communist, which, as we all know, is the worst thing you can possibly be.
1: I am not communism. I
0: am not agree with communism. Back in things were a little different, as he aligned himself with the Soviet Union, adopted a Marxist-Leninist model of development, and became a socialist state. Which led to the CIA really not liking him, and uh, trying to kill him a lot in some very interesting and also bad ways. Unfortunately, we don't have Robbie's excellent history knowledge for today's episode, but I'm not too upset, because... It forced me to do all of the research myself, and uncovering these diabolical hairbrain schemes was truly fascinating. Quick little thing here, the reason Castro forming an alliance with the USSR was such a big problem for America is that Cuba is about 90 miles off the coast of Florida, which essentially means that the Soviets could and eventually would put weapons way too close for comfort. Anyway, the point is Castro was now essentially Soviet, which meant the U.S. government had to dispose of him. Their first attempt at this would come in the form of the Bay of Pigs invasion, a covert operation in which the CIA sent Cuban exiles to invade Cuba. There was to be a landing at the Bahia de Cochinos, which means Bay of Pigs for those of you who speak American, and the idea was that these soldiers would storm the beaches, start a guerrilla war, and fellow commie-haters throughout Cuba would see this as an opportunity to rise up and, like dominoes, Castro's empire would fall.
1: Viva la revolution.
0: This was done so that the United States would have plausible deniability on any involvement in the coup. On April 17th, 1961, they stormed the beaches. Think Normandy, but not as French and a complete failure. The entire force was wiped out within three days and it was a massive embarrassment for the United States. One of the main reasons it failed was the 1500 troops were no match for Cuba's military. And the United States was unable to back them up because it would lead to an escalation with the USSR. Another reason is that Castro is actually pretty popular, so the uprising against communism was just never going to happen. I guess the biggest takeaway here is that if you keep most of your citizens happy, they probably won't want you to be overthrown. Nonetheless, this failure would lead to Operation Mongoose. Great name, I know, which was designed to do what the Bay of Pigs invasion didn't, remove Castro from power. At the time, invading Cuba was a rather contentious topic. With the failure of the Korean War and the prolongation of the Vietnam War, for JFK, jumping into Cuba was politically not a great idea. But there was still a communist dictator just off the coast of Florida, and communism, as we all know, is the worst thing that can possibly happen to the world. What I'm getting at here is that the United States couldn't simply launch an invasion or gun Castro down in the street. They had to come up with a plan a plan that couldn't possibly be traced back to them. For this next part, I'm going to be telling some assassination stories to my sister. I'm
1: Sophie Kagan. I'm 25 years old.
0: She's a big true crime fan. So when I told her about this, she really wanted to be on
1: the podcast.
0: The This one is the honeypot.
1: Oh, they are going to get them a little sticky.
0: No. <laughs> Do you know what a honey pot is? <laughs> Honeypot is espionage terminology for sending in someone to sexually or romantically compromise another agent. And this is the story of the U.S. government doing it to Castro. Or at least trying. So there's this woman, Martia Lorenz, whose life story could be an entire podcast on its own. But basically she was the daughter of a U-boat commander who after the war opened up a small cruise ship company in the Americas. She would eventually work for him and one day on the job, imagine this happening at your job, Castro and a bunch of his cronies boarded their ship. Now, I'm not sure if this is how Castro actually was or it's just how people like to write about him, but he seems like the kind of guy who would just kind of do things. Like, they didn't really board the ship to take it over. They kind of just wanted to see what was up. I like to imagine that they were all just sitting around kind of bored and maybe the TV wasn't working because, you know, it was the 50s and there were only like three channels. So Castro looks out the window and, oh my God, there's a boat in his harbor. So he asks his friends if they want to pretend to be pirates for the afternoon. And then they actually do it. Sorry, that was a really long tangent, but that's essentially how Castro met Martia Lorenz. Their relationship would continue throughout 1959. She apparently even lived at the Havana Hilton with him for seven months. It's unclear how it really came to an end, but the most largely accepted story is that Martia got pregnant, Castro didn't want the child, so they gave her an abortion and sent her back to America. She was devastated by what, in her eyes, was a complete betrayal and the CIA saw an opportunity. They recruited her, and her plan was simple. Poison him with botulism toxin pills in his drink. Fidel agrees to meet with her, so she travels to the Havana Hilton, and they send her up to Castro's floor, where she waits for him. But then something goes wrong. The fast-acting pills have dissolved in the face cream she used to sneak them in. When Castro arrives, she leaves rather quickly, He asks why she must leave so soon. One thing leads to another, and she confesses to being sent to kill him. What happens next is straight out of James Bond. Castro pulls out his gun, hands it to her, and tells her to shoot him. After a minute of internal struggle, she drops the gun, saying she can't. At which point he says, of course you can't. No one can. How would you rate that out of 10? How would you rate that plan?
1: I mean, it's a shitty plan. Say I'm the person that wants to kill Castro. I'm not going to go for an ex-lover because that's just too sticky. It's like, they obviously, she's going to chicken out the last section. She has history with this person. This is not just some kind of...
0: So you're saying she's not a trained hitman, so it's not going to go well. So
1: I mean, I don't think you need to be a trained hitman to be a killer. But I think uh, I wouldn't have hired her. I think I give the honeypot like a four.
0: When we return, it's the mafia, exploding cigars, and much, much more. There are quite a few things Castro loved, and the CIA often tried to kill him with these things because it would draw him in and then, you know, pow, when he least expects it. Our next plan is actually three small plans that all involve the ocean. The CIA started working on these after they learned Castro loved to take morning swims alone. No, 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 not, not like that. Christ, what do I pay you for? Hey man, listen, I'm just a dude inside your head. We've been making so many podcasts, I've just, I feel like I've lost my touch. Just fucking get it right, okay? Seashells on the beach with explosives. That's the plan. They're gonna rig seashells on the beach with explosives, and when Castro goes on his morning walk to the beach, they're gonna blow him to smithereens. This
1: is some of the dumbest shit I've ever heard.
0: They actually ended up testing this but realized it might not be enough, so they modified the plan to now be one massive, eye-catching seashell, booby-trapped to explode when Castro picks it up. Unfortunately for the folks at the Looney Tunes division of the CIA, this plan was deemed too difficult because there was no guarantee that they could find a seashell so beautiful that Castro would pick it up. The third scheme to take place under the sea was a lethal wetsuit. It would be dusted with a fungus that would cause Madura disease, which is nasty and I would tell you not to look it up, but then you probably would. And of course, the cherry on the cake, a tuberculosis-infected snorkel. This hopefully deadly combo would be gifted to Castro by James Donovan, a lawyer negotiating the release of Bay of Pigs prisoners as a gesture of good faith. Unfortunately for the boys back at Langley, Donovan didn't want to play along, so knowing it would be weird to give Castro the same gift twice, he sent him a perfectly normal one first. So, what do you think of those, the underwater diving, swimming plans?
1: I think that the shell explosion extravaganza is pretty. I mean, for the enthusiasm, for their effort, for the artfulness, the creativity. For the creativity. I think I give it like a six.
0: As a tax paying citizen, I'm just disappointed. Plan number four exploding cigar. Cigars were a favorite of Castro's, he was often spotted with a massive one. I actually happen to have some familiarity with cigars as well. My dad used to work at a cigar mail order company. I'm David Kagan. I managed a online mail order company that sold handmade, hand-rolled cigars. It's for this reason that he's incredibly knowledgeable about them. Cuba has a great climate for growing tobacco. So the Cuban families got very good at this. They became known worldwide for having some of the best cigars. The tradition was there. You could kind of see Castro's cigar as a symbol of patriotism. It's almost hard to find a photo of him not chewing on a massive one. In fact, he was so famous for it that they named one after him. The Presidente was named after Castro's cigar. He, he smoked a huge cigar. And people wanted that cigar. The following clip is an ad from the 90s advertising it. I, me. Be like fidel. I want, I want to be be like, like fidel. fidel. Be like fidel. Smoke presidente. Castro liked a cigar. The CIA knew Castro liked a cigar. Why do I keep saying this? The CIA knows everything. The point is, they made a poisoned cigar. They poisoned the cigar with botulism, because what else? And then sent them to Cuba. Nobody's really sure what happened after that, but Castro didn't die, so it's safe to say the plan was yet another failure. On a different occasion, the CIA sent an operative to rig Fidel's cigars with explosives, but as fate would have it, he gifted them to a diplomat. Thankfully, government agents got the cigars back from the diplomat, but for a few hours, it was was a few tense hours, to say the least. So far, El Presidente has survived a honeypot attempt, a beach invasion, a poison cigar, and even an exploding seashell. But that was just scratching the surface. Before I tell you about my favorite brilliant little game, here are some honorable mentions. Lacing him with LSD before a speech to embarrass him in front of the nation. Placing 200 pounds of explosives under a podium also before a speech. Operation Bounty a leaflet bombing of Cuba notifying citizens of financial reward for killing members of the government and foreign communists. Prizes range from 5000 to a $1 million, but only $0.02 cents for Castro himself, because, you know, psychological warfare. Too extravagant for you? Try a germ-covered hanky. Or maybe a poisoned pen with hypodermic needle. And last, but certainly not least, putting thallium salts in his shoes to make his beard fall out. Ah, yes, the CIA was thwarted many times in eliminating their bearded foe. But one of them stands above all else. In the 1960s, organized crime ran rampant across America. New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles, Las Vegas. Each with its own outfit, or subsidiary of a family. The mob was big business, money was flying, and hits were frequent in the paper. Noticing the obvious skill of organized crime when it came to dealing with problems, the CIA thought they might have a solution to a problem of their own. They task Robert Mahew, a Las Vegas private investigator, with arranging everything. Mahew contacts John Rosselli, who passes word along to Sam Giancana, head of the Chicago family. When he learns of the target, he declines payment, stating he would do it for free. Castro caused massive problems when he turned the enormously profitable mob-owned casinos into state-run institutions and kicked them out of the country. Which is honestly a pretty impressive feat because at the time, the mafia pretty much owned Vegas. They were told by their unlikely partners to do whatever it took to eliminate Castro. The government probably thought they were going to get Tommy guns and horse heads. But the gangsters wanted to take another approach. They wanted to play secret agent and eventually decided on poison pills. Six of the deadly capsules were given to a Cuban official who owed the mob a favor, but he got cold feet. A year and a half later, they would try again, this time through a waiter at the Havana Hilton. Castro had just enjoyed a delicious meal and ordered a chocolate milkshake for dessert. Back in the kitchen, the pills were being stored in the freezer, and as our hopeful assassin reached in to put a garnish on what could be El Presidente's last drink, he found the capsules had frozen to the coolant pipe, and with no way to get them into the milkshake, it was served exactly as ordered. Fabian Escalante was the head of the Intelligence Directorate in Cuba under Castro. He's the man who counted all 638 assassination attempts, and it is his personal opinion that that was the closest.
1: Why don't they just go in there and fucking shoot him? I don't get it. Like, one well, bullet they, to the head. because
0: they, they can't let anyone know that it's them doing the killing.
1: Castro ended up living
0: until the ripe old age of 90. He passed away on November 25th, 2016. This could be largely thanks to Executive Order 11905, which was signed by President Gerald Ford on February 18th, 1976, and stated, No employee of the United States government shall engage in or conspire in political assassination. I find it kind of funny how it was such a big issue that they had to make it illegal. And while we will probably never know if anyone has broken that law, based on their success with Castro, it seems pretty unlikely. But who knows? Maybe they classified all this in an elaborate ruse to convince us they aren't capable of listening to everyone's cellular device. And as always, thanks for listening. Especially you, CIA agent. Things You Don't Need to Know is a Hyperobject in 3 Uncanny 4 production. The show is written and edited by me, and produced by Harry Nelson, and also me. Additional help from Nuna Sharafedin and Shane McKeon. Our executive producers are Adam McKay and Laura Mayer. The show is mixed by nice manners. If you like things you don't need to know, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and hit subscribe. Also, if you leave a review, it would be much appreciated. It really helps the show out. I would send you a box of Cuban cigars in exchange, but they aren't legal yet. And I'm not even old enough to buy them. See you next week.